0: You're listening to the Thinker What Works podcast. Today, we're here with Paul Iverson, owner of Iverson Painting here in Rockford. We'll learn what it takes to be a small business owner. I'm Jason Todd with my co-host, Alex Gary. So today we're here with Paul Iverson, Paul from Iverson Painting here in Rockford, Illinois. We've had the privilege of knowing you for a number of years and working with you and seeing, uh, seeing the progression uh, that you've made in in that short period of time, and then learning so much about your story, uh, I think a fascinating story from now twenty nine thirty one thirty one years yep. thirty one years. Man, how time flies! <laughs> it That's does. That's awesome. Yeah. So I was,
1: in, I was in high school when you started Painting House. High school. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was uh, not in high school. I was. <laughs> I
0: I might have been in I don't know fourth grade <laughs> or third grade. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Now, if I remember right, your the business was your parents first.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Mom and dad started the business in June of 86, and uh, I joined them uh, about six months later. And uh, I came from a restaurant background. I'd, I'd run restaurants for 10 years,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I was putting in 100 hours a week and kind of saw what dad had going on and uh, thought that I might be able to bring something to the table. And so we visited, and... Uh, I figured if I'm going to put in 100 hours a week, I'll, I'll do it for myself instead of uh, some anonymous company down in Albuquerque.
1: Did you know anything about painting when you started? No.
2: Nope, not a thing.
1: So was it all just I'd rather work for myself than somebody else? I mean yeah. What kind yeah. of thought process did well, you put I, in? I'd
2: always had the, the entrepreneurial bug. Even from yeah. 12 years old, I had uh, a little bicycle repair business in my garage, and, and uh, I don't know if I should admit this or not, but I would scavenge the neighborhood on garbage day. And I'd pick stuff off the curb, <laughs> an old radio, a TV, a vacuum cleaner, and I would bring them to the garage and I would repair them. Wow. I had a little knack for that. I would take the tubes out of the TV or the radio. Yeah. I'd bring them up to Walgreens on the corner. I'd test all the tubes. Most of the time when someone threw that stuff away, it was just a bad tube. Yeah. So I'd put a new tube in, it'd be working and I'd put it out, and I'd have the front garage door open, I'd put it on a table and five bucks or ten bucks and uh really. And that was that was my beginning and of uh, owning
0: my own business. So you had so, a business since 12 years old, just yeah. preparing things. Oh,
2: you know, yeah. I was I was a go-getter. I was delivering the, the newspaper in Loves Park. And then when I was 14, I got my student worker's permit and started working at the North Suburban Library when I was 14. And then the day I turned 16, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Wow. The night of my 16th birthday. Really?
1: Where was Kentucky Fried Chicken
2: then? That was on Windsor, uh, Windsor and Elm in Loves Park. Okay. Yeah. Wow.
0: So this entrepreneurial thing goes back uh, quite a ways.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's
0: an it's a I was wired.
1: So your first painting job, was there a lot of training into it, or, or did mom and dad no. say hey, you got to go over to this house?
2: They they were learning too. Okay, they, they'd only been painting a few months and they'd never picked up a brush before then, except to do stuff around their own home. Wow. So why so.
0: why did it turn into painting? Why, I mean, what was the what was the draw for painting? It could have been anything. It, but it,
2: brought, it was it was an accidental start. Really? They were on mom and dad were on vacation from both of their careers. And they were over at Grandma's house visiting with her. And the next-door neighbor said, oh, yeah, I'm going to be hiring someone to paint my house. And Mom and Dad said, uh, hey, we're on vacation. We'll do it. We painted our own house. <laughs> so they went over to Colorama in Love's Park. And the guys over there said, well, you'll need this, and you'll need this, and you'll need this. And this, of course, is years and years before YouTube or the Internet or anything. So, yeah. so they got their ladder, and they got their brush and their drop cloths, and they found out what paint they were supposed to use. And uh, they went over and painted Skeeter's house for her. Wow. And she gave them, I think, 50 bucks, bought them lunch each day. And her her late husband had worked at a manufacturing plant that manufactured steel ice chests. And so she gave him one of the ice chests as a gift. Yeah. I still have it sitting in the shop. Really? Yeah.
0: Wow. This is the first I've heard of this story. This oh, is yeah. fascinating. Yeah, it's,
2: it's very cool. So then vacation's over. They go back to their own careers. Yeah. And the next thing you know, a week later, phone phone rings and like, Hey, I, I'm Skeeter's friend and you guys did a good job <laughs> on our house. Can you paint mine? I'm like, yeah, okay, we'll do it on weekends. Yeah. So they went and did it. And then another call and then another call. And they sit down one night and, they're, you know, well, this could be something. Yeah. And so they did it. They, wow. they 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 both took the dive. They were in their late forties and they, they dove in. They quit their careers and started a painting company. Wow.
1: Now how long did they stick with it?
2: Oh, till well. Mom just retired from me, okay. w- working with me last month. All right. So uh, Dad passed away three years ago. He got he, he had an aneurysm nine, year, nine years before that. So that's twelve years ago, and uh, uh, so he stopped working then mm-hmm. and retired. But when they retired from doing their own thing, they came to work for me. So I was gonna say, at, was, at what
1: point did you really take the company over?
2: Oh, I we, well, we only worked together for three years. Okay, and then we split cuz mom and dad wanted to keep doing the painting and staining and I wanted to get into the wallpapering and the faux finishing right. and the wood graining and all the stuff of the future. Mm-hmm. And uh, dad said, nah, "I don't want to do that." So we split, and I started my own company, and he he and mom were doing their thing. They were uh, let's see, they were Iverson Painting and Staining, and I was Iverson Decorating. Oh. And throughout all that time, then we worked together when they needed help, my help on a job. Uh, I went to work with them, and then when I needed their help on a project, they came to work with me. And we did that for many, many years until they retired. Then they came to work for me part-time after they retired until Dad got ill and they couldn't work anymore.
1: Well, one thing um, we look at about entrepreneurs is when to know when to pivot. So do you still do all those different things, or are you just a painter now?
2: Uh, I will tell you, we spent a lot of years all over the place doing Painting and staining and faux and wood graining and wallpapering. We even bought a, a company out of Seattle that refinished countertops. I mean, I wanted to be, I wanted to be the IBM, you know, yeah. have all the, all the divisions, all the divisions. And it was a disaster. I didn't make money in anything. So until I was given some advice years ago to really pick one thing and do it and do it well, just really focus, mm. um, that's what turned things around.
0: So what did you decide to focus
2: on? Painting. Painting. Interior, exterior, Painting. Um, that wood finishing goes along with that. Mm-hmm. but we stopped the wallpapering, we stopped the faux finishes. We stopped all of the stuff that was so incredibly time consuming that we could never make a penny doing it.
0: But faux finishes were popular. They were big. so why did yep. you why did you determine that faux finishes just couldn't be part of what you were doing?
2: because we couldn't we couldn't make any money at it. Gotcha. there are a few specialists, and that's all they do. and they and they make very good money but i didn't have enough time and resources to really focus into or the desire really Mm -hmm. because that's a very skilled position and i had a couple of people that were very good at some of the basics the ragging the sponging the uh and Mm -hmm. you know and and a couple of the basics we took some classes and we did some travertine and marble and fossil stone all that kind of fun stuff but um i really i it it took us away from what i felt was our core and until someone pointed that out to me and i and it kind of clicked yeah then I realized you you pick what you're really really good at, mm-hmm. focus on that, and become the best you can be.
0: Now you you talked about this before in our in previous conversations that you've always you've always kind of aligned yourself with other people and listened to their feedback to determine you know what what you might want to do next. Is that has that always been a trend through, no. throughout your life? No, no, okay.
2: no. When I uh, I would say from uh, as a young man through at least uh, my fo- my well forties. Sure, Um, late thirties. It's still young. It's still young. I, I, we'll I knew give it to you. <laughs> yeah, um, I knew everything. Right. I, I knew everything. I, I knew more than anybody. Okay. Until I realized that I didn't. Yeah. And when you can step back and let the ego go. Yeah. And realize there are people that are really, really sharp out there, and instead of thinking you know it all, just start, just acquire knowledge hmm. just start talking to people that know more than you that that specialize in this and that's when i really started to, that's when things really started to click when i said i'm going to surround myself with people that are really really good at what they do yeah and then i'm going to let them do their thing mm-hmm. so i can focus on doing my thing wow
0: that's kind of a courageous step don't you Yeah think? it was big it was tough too what brought you to that point a couple of things
2: okay. i was getting older And it was a little, it was difficult to do everything. Mm -hmm. And um, the big thing is I was, I was, I was a gerbil in a cage. Okay. I was just running in circles. Yeah. And I was trying to do everything and getting nothing done. So until I realized that I can let, I can let this guy do this. I can let this person do that. Mm -hmm. I can let this company do this. And it's a lot easier to write them a check because now I'm focusing on what I should be doing. Yeah. And I make enough money to write them a check to do that. Right. And it frees me up then to make more money. Interesting. Thinker, you get
1: get involved in Thinker in a similar way, correct?
2: I did, yes. How did that? How did
1: your relationship with Jason start?
2: Well, I had uh, let's let me think of the timeline here real quickly. I would say probably uh, this is seventeen, oh eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had uh, uh, I I joined a consultant group and spent a couple years with them and really felt that I hit a saturation point that I really wasn't getting anything more out of that group, so I left them. And uh, we did quite well for several years. Then, of course, the recession hit and things, you know, kind of went south. But we made it through that. We were very fortunate. Uh, but then the last couple of years, it felt like I hit that wall again. Yeah. Like I was just spinning wheels. And I was doing things well, and we were keeping our head above water, but we weren't getting anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the phone's ringing. I got great people working for me. And everything should be working right, but we weren't making any money. Right. And I was really getting frustrated because I was busting my back and it was 70 hours a week and it was, what can I do, what can I do? And I'm looking at YouTube and I'm going to websites and I'm researching this and researching that and I'm just, I'm not getting anywhere. So one night, I just, you know, I mean, I don't want to get too crazy with this, okay, but but I was just kind of at the end of my rope. What am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? And the next morning, I go to a Chamber of Commerce meeting and who gives a presentation that morning? Jason Todd Mm -hmm. and things kind of clicked. So I asked him if he could stay for a couple minutes after I kind of told my story a little bit and he says, I think we might be able to help you. So I hired him and, uh, um, it's been a good move there. You know, when you surround yourself with people that I'm not trying to make this an advertisement for you or anything. Okay. But when you surround yourself with people that know more than you do and can give you some good advice and then you are willing to take that advice, you can move to the next level. And so I've used consultants and, and people that know more than I do to help me move to the next level and get well, out of that trap.
1: Jason had told me your story when I was thinking of more like he was thinking of part bringing me on in, in some capacity. And so he kind of told me your story. And, and, and part of it was that you, you, you have a very popular business. You have more business than you actually can handle, but you weren't making a lot of profits. So right. he talked about how you, he, they, they stepped in and really broke down the jobs to figure mm-hmm. out where you're making money and where you're not. And in the end, you ended up having to fire customers because they just don't pay you the rates you need to, to be paid. That's true, yes. Uh, when I was doing some research before this podcast, I had found this a few months ago. And that the, this one uh, company surveyed over a thousand businesses, and 48% of them don't track their inventory, and 55% don't track their assets. I just kind of assumed to be in business for 25, 30 years, you would have those numbers at your fingertips. Oh, yeah. So, you know. Was that the big eye-opening thing? was breaking down the job and seeing where you you know where the profit is and where the, the money's going?
2: Yeah yeah, that, that was a big help because I was looking at it kind of globally. I was looking at how many job you know we're doing x number of jobs per month and and we're paying this for this gallon of paint and we're doing this and we're doing this. But until we really started to break every single job down uh, and, and by, by the type of job. You know, whether it's painting a bathroom or staining and finishing a deck or pressure washing, it, we really broke it down into the, I mean, as nuts and bolts as you can go.
0: Yeah.
2: Then we started analyzing, all right, now here's a two-year pattern. Now I was very good at keeping data. You were. All right. I've got an office manager who does an unbelievable job collecting data for me and, and collating it. For sure. But I wasn't doing enough with it. Then when I brought the consultants on, when I brought Thinker on, then it's now let's put all this data together and find out what the heck it's telling us. Yeah. And so we were breaking everything down and we started to see a pattern pretty quickly. Yeah. Of jobs that we were making money on and jobs that we were losing a lot of money on. I so, thought
0: I thought I thought it was really fascinating. And I mean to to your credit, you're you're absolutely right. Boy, you had so much information. Information that I was sh- I, truly I was shocked to see. I thought, you know, we're going to get in there and there's not going to be enough information and we're going to have to go try and dig for this, but all of a sudden back comes all all of this data and we're like, "Holy crap." we can we can really do a lot with this <laughs> yeah. right and it simplified our our job and i think all, i think what we did is, it was we we like you talked about we broke it down into kind of the component parts and then when when we came up with gaps in the data we just asked questions and then that led us to some hypotheses which yep. then we tested and then we back tested i it's think crazy. for you right oh, yeah. and and gave some assurances that if we made changes that we were going to we're going to move forward in a in a profitable way, after which then, you know, the, it became a sales and marketing uh, job to kind of reintroduce
2: everything. Right, yes. Yeah, and that, then we did some rebranding along with that yeah. and just, and really kind of, we built the company. After that, we, after we got the data, we designed the company and built the company to target the jobs that we wanted to get and to not get the jobs that we didn't want or or weren't able to do. So it was, it was a, had you kind of fallen
1: into the trap that a lot of small business owners fall into, which is when you're starting out, you just want work. Oh yeah. And so, you know, somebody came, comes along with a, an idea or a proposal and you're like, okay, I can do it for this. Mm-hmm. And then now you've done it for this and now it's, you know, now you gotta do another one for one at the same price. And it's hard to, it's hard to break out of that price point. Yeah.
2: That's especially true for us because we were doing a lot of condominium associations so if you do Mrs. Jones' living room for $225, <laughs> you better do Mrs. Smith's living room for right. the same amount because they're talking all the time. Yeah. So that was difficult to break out of that, especially when we started analyzing like, oh, well, we're doing those living rooms for this price, but we're losing money on it. Right. So now we got to bump it up by X number to do the next one. And they're going to talk to them and they're going to say, what the heck? You know. <laughs> so so that was uh, – um, that was a that was a tricky thing, yeah. Because we were able to justify it uh, to some folks, and they were like, "Okay, that's cool, we get it." And to others, were like, uh, "Yeah, no, that's not going to work." <laughs> yeah,
0: and it was it's got to be one of the most fun uh, projects that I've I've had the opportunity to work on, because there was such a profound change. H- having all of this data, which is wonderful to work with, and then having having to work with you, which was just amazing, because you. You were ready to make change. You you trusted us, and when we yeah. said, "Hey, we're going to be there next month. We're going to do these things." I know it's going to be it's going to be courageous decision making, but I promise you, I'm going to be there. We're going to work this through, yeah. you know, and we'll we'll make the changes. But trust us here. You, and you were like, "Okay, let's do this." And, yeah, that's true. <laughs> and I think I think one of the things that stood out for me was the tremendous amount of courage that you walked forward with that other people just don't have.
2: Well, it it it, it was tough. It was tough. I had to dig deep to do that. But I I realized that without, you know, uh, to me, that's what I would call that a sacrifice. Yeah. Okay. Is that I was willing to take that risk. And without risk, you don't get reward. Yeah. And uh, so I was willing to step out on that. And, uh, and it, well, for me, it worked. Yeah. So we've been very fortunate. The last several years have been our best years in 31 by, by, by every measurable. Wow. You know, by every measurable, (laughs) uh, yeah, objectively, Objective, subjectively, right, right. It's yeah, like,
1: exactly. It's, it's been great. Yeah, I was I was thinking about you the other day because I went to a uh, a restaurant over on the southwest side of town. I'd, I'd met him at a, a one million cups talk in the morning, and everybody raves about this restaurant about how good the food is. So I went over and ate, and I ate, and and in this case, the food's good, but the it's the um, it's the owner himself, his personality kind of draws people there. So we we're sitting talking, and he started talking about how. Now that he's got a business that's somewhat successful, everybody's hitting him up for marketing dollars. Oh. You, should, you should be in this. You should be in that. You got to pay for this. You got to pay for that. And he doesn't know which way to go. He's like, right now, he's, he's, he's happy with where he's, where he's at. But at some point, he has to make that decision. Mm-hmm. And I remember you had talked at one point about all the different ways you were trying to market, and you needed to simplify that as well.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's what, what I did is I hired a marketing company to do that for me. And, you know, that's that's part of part of Jason's group is that um, uh, I don't have to make those decisions anymore. I, I set my budget and even things as simple as the, like the normal things that you get, you know, do you want to put a sponsorship in this golf magazine or do you television ad or radio ad? Uh, I just say, hey, I've got a marketing company, you know, send me an email, I'll pass it on to them. So that's helped me kind of filter that stuff a little bit. Uh, but I do... I don't want to I don't want to toot my own horn or anything but I have a very giving spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's hard for me to say no sometimes. So it's nice to have a backup. Uh, to help me kind of filter that a little you bit you can blame it on us well it's true yeah <laughs> or, or you can sorry say, hey, the marketing take people e- said no take, take a deep breath paul you know <laughs> <laughs> then i call them back and like oh yeah i talked to my marketing guy like you know <laughs> budgets all separate a year give me a show you know? so well another st- you know, so does that
1: answer your question Yeah. Or? No, or, okay. well another statistic I, I, I saw was in another survey uh 50 56 percent of small business owners don't track the results of marketing programs oh which so they're throwing money and not even figuring out if it works for
2: them. Yeah, that we have done that for years. Even way back in the day when we were doing direct mailers and we'd send out ten thousand postcards, I was tracking that stuff to the penny. you know what did the what did the setup cost? What did the printing cost? What did the mailing cost? And then we would track every. We have a, a program in place. You know, my office manager tracks every phone call that comes in. We track every mail, email that comes in. And so we, you know, one of the questions is, how did you hear about us? Mm-hmm. Where did you get our name? And nowadays, you know, thirty-one years, it's oh, I saw your trucks, or I saw this, or you know. Right. But we try to we try to really, you know, even it's like, well, uh, I don't know. A friend told me, okay, well, do you remember their name? I mean, we really we really try to to dig in that information. So we try to track where every every phone call and every contact comes from, and uh, that's very valuable. If you're spending thousands of dollars on marketing, you really really need to know what works and doesn't work.
0: Where did you get the i don't know the the information to be able to tell that's what you needed to do where did you come up with that education
2: that was from the consultant that i used back in the 2000s okay yeah that was part of his group was was tracking data and that's and and i have to really credit him for that because he he set me on the path of tracking you know information you know knowledge knowledge is power and information and uh, so i have to credit him for that yeah so i before that i was you know, it was, it was management by panic. It was, <laughs> right. oh my gosh, I got to keep the guys busy. The phone call rings. I run out. I bid it. I don't have any work for next week. So I'll just tell them it's 500 bucks and they'll have us do it. And I can keep the guys busy. And it was, it was crisis management. Yeah. So it's much better. It's much nicer to be in this position where we can really logically think things through and make strategic decisions. Hmm. Well, we were talking uh, before we started recording
1: uh, about how busy you are right now. And you said, essentially you're you're having to turn away work. Oh, yes. So Because it's a point where you have to decide what size company you want to be.
2: Yeah, and that's a decision that, that, that it's kind of a personal decision to me. I have the phones ringing enough where I could have an entire another crew of three people working with no problem. But then you get into the logistics of managing them, and you get into the quality issues. And the larger company we have, the harder it is to find real quality skilled craftspeople. And uh, I say craftspeople instead of craftsmen. I have men yeah. and women working for me. And they're all very well trained. We put them through an in-house training program. And uh, uh, it, it's hard to find those people. And so I've decided I don't want to grow so big that I can't control the quality and uh, that we just we can't control what we're doing. And I think the larger we get, the more problem we'd have with that. So I like the size we're at. The downside is I have to tell some people no and it's especially painful when it's a client that we've worked with for years and years and years and you know the uh, oh my my, you know my granddaughter's graduation is coming up in may can you help us out we need it done by may 15th and i'm sorry we're completely booked Mm -hmm. there's nothing i can do and that that breaks my heart when we have to do that
0: and that's some i think that's a conversation that we had i don't know it might be a year ago now or, or even more because business was increasing to the point where where you, there were real questions like how do we turn people away yeah. without uh, sacrificing the relationship? How how
2: has that played out for you? So so yeah. I, I I try to pick and choose, yeah. but they're, they're it, when the rubber hits the road it's they need it done by this date. Yeah. I'm completely booked, so I have to tell them no. Yeah, and uh, so I'd like this, you know, I'd still like to continue f- to find a way to kind of make that happen. Mm-hmm. But from a scheduling standpoint, it it's almost impossible to leave one week open in the schedule in case someone calls. Yeah. You know, it's 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 really difficult to do that.
0: So. Have you found that people have been receptive to your explanation of why you can't uh, do their job? In, in-
2: nobody's been ticked off or anything. Yeah, but I mean, I've had some definitely disappointed sure. folks. Yeah, but nobody because they love you. Yeah, 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 and and most of the conversations end with. Well, Paul, you know I'm really glad that things are going well for you and you're so successful, and and I'm really disappointed you can't help me.
1: Yeah, that's almost amazing. Do you refer those to other people? Is there like other companies, or you just let them? Decide? I do not. Okay, no.
2: Uh, first off, if if you refer someone, then you, there's an element of support that goes with that. That you say, right. I know this guy, I trust him to do as good a job as I do, and. There are a lot of good painters in town, okay? Mm-hmm. And I know some guys that do some really good quality work. No problem at all. But I I, I want to stay out of that. I don't yeah. want to be the referrer. I will generally say, you know, why don't you give one of the paint stores a call? Give Sherwin-Williams a call or give Nicholson a call yeah. and ask them for some names. Yeah, that's wise. Yeah. One
1: of the things um, also, you've been in it for 31 years. Yeah. And is it a situation where you're going to pass the company on at some point to a family member? Or are you at some point looking at an exit strategy?
2: Uh, exit strategy. Yes. Family member, sadly, no. Okay. So the, uh, the only family member I have working with me now is my sister-in-law and she'll be retiring approximately the same time that I am.
1: Well, well cause one of the oh, things so I looked at uh, another set of numbers is that not a lot of people do, uh, exit planning.
2: Uh, well that I am doing. Okay. Uh, we have, uh, I'm 57 this year. I plan on working as long as I'm physically and mentally able to do it. so I'd like to you know get another run of maybe 10 more years till I'm 65, 67. But uh, Jason and I have talked about this, my attorney and I have talked about it, my accountant and I have talked about it, my insurance agent and I have talked about it. and all of us that, that's my you know my circle of advisors that I mentioned to you earlier. Um, and we're all putting together a plan to make this a company that would be attractive to someone whether that be one of the younger guys that's working for me right now or a potential buyer down the road. But the more systems we can have in place and, uh, uh, the more profitable we are. And then one of the big things that we've decided is that, uh, the company can't be one person. It can't be me. And that's why I've structured the company. So I have a full-time office manager who does an unbelievable job. And, uh, I put on a guy earlier this year who's taking over some of my administrative duties. And uh, so I'd like to build a company that would be very attractive to to a potential buyer and not just say, like, all right, there's the owner. He's doing 90% of the work. If I buy that company, I've got to do 90% of the work. I don't want to have that kind of company.
1: Right. Are these lessons that uh, the Paul Iverson 20 years ago wouldn't have, wouldn't have known?
2: Oh, no, no, no. When you're, you know, 20 years ago, I'm in my 30s. I'm healthy, I'm feeling great, I got the whole world in front of me. And you don't think, I, I didn't think about retirement or exit strategy or financial planning for, you know, it was just like, let's rock and roll.
0: How would have How would it have, do you think, I mean, clearly hindsight is 2020, but how do you think that would have changed your outlook and decision-making
2: had you known then what you know now? Everything would be different. Really, how so? Yeah, everything, everything would be different. If I had some of the business knowledge now that I had then, we certainly would have been running the business different, differently. Um, We would have been putting more away for the future. We would have done more strategic planning. We would have been smarter with the jobs we were taking on. uh, With the now, one thing that I will say that uh, one thing I got this from my dad. Okay, and he his vision was to build a company uh, that was going to be here for a long time. Yeah. we weren't going to charge a thousand bucks for a bedroom and you're never going to call us back right we were going to charge a fair price do a really co- good quality job and you were going to keep calling us for as long as you need a painting for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and we called that my dad was uh we kind of called him johnny Appleseed because his big thing he loved planting he was a gardener he loved he took trees little maple seedlings and redbud seedlings all over this entire city there are three or four hundred trees over the city that he's planted really so one of the things that that his his philosophy was let's plant these seeds and we're going to watch them grow into trees and so we're going to we're going to make this little sacrifice right now yeah we don't want to go over and do that front door for a hundred bucks but when they're ready to do their whole house for ten thousand they're going to call us so we kept planting seeds and planting seeds and now we're reaping the benefits of that and uh, if i had to do over then to get back to your question back when I'm in my 30s, is uh, that part I wouldn't change. That part I would still continue to to work with the long vision of we want these people to call us back in five years and in 10 years. But from the nuts and bolts part, the strategic planning and the financial part, I would do a lot differently.
1: Well, we had a conversation one time where you talked about that, your your advice to somebody in their 20s thinking to make this leap would would be to actually take some business
2: courses. Oh, yeah. And now, okay, I'm not a college graduate. I graduated high school, went right into restaurant management, moved up through restaurant management quite well, all the way up to where I was running four or five restaurants at a time. And uh, so I did quite well. I was young. I was making a lot of money, had benefits and the whole works. Uh, I didn't know what – but even even when I got to 26, 27 years old, I didn't know what I was going to do for a career. I had no focus. Then this happened and I joined in as we talked about. But have hindsight, uh, if I were to give anyone any advice before they start a business or buy a business, education. You take some accounting classes, you know, small business degree, something, or small business management, uh, something. Because it's a tough gig to learn by trial and error. And while education is expensive, I feel the most expensive education is trial and error because you can spend a lot of money making some real <laughs> <Right>. mistakes.
0: <laughs> you sure can. Yeah, yeah. I think what, what I, I think my, one of my quotes I tell people uh, pretty frequently, because we get we, we approached by people all the time who want to start businesses, and I just be frank with them. I say, well, one of the best ways to lose money is to start a business. One of the best ways to make money is to get a job. So consider, <laughs> consider your choice <laughs> right. very wisely, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would give someone the advice of, of really knowing what you're getting into. Before yeah. you get into it. And right. We're certainly research the industry, whatever business you're going to start, do some research. We have all, I mean, with, with the resources we have available to us now, they're, they're endless. Yeah. You can research anything, anywhere in the, on the whole planet. Yep. And so do a lot of research and, and don't just, uh, don't just say, hey, that sounds cool. Let's do that. Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, I didn't know much about the painting industry. I remember asking one time, well, isn't paint, paint? But you say, you know, every single year. There's all kinds of things you've got oh, to get up on.
2: Yeah, paint paint is not paint. Um, the people that work for me are, they, you know, they're 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 skilled craftsmen, and the materials we use are constantly changing. I subscribe to all the trade magazines. I'm on websites all the time. The industry is constantly evolving, and with the new technologies, the new resins and binders, uh, it's it's incredible. What what even what we're painting with now over five years ago, completely different animals. In what way? Uh, well, the biggest change, of course, was uh, uh, is the government regulations Okay. And, and lowering the VOCs, the volatile organic compounds. Okay. Um, yeah. Those are the things we breathe and the things that make us not healthy and the things that are not healthy for us.
0: So paint's becoming safer.
2: Well, it is, definitely. Okay. But the challenge was, and this is true in many industries, is the government moved faster than the industry could move. So they enacted all these laws and all these mandates before the industry could catch up with them. So we went through several years where the paints that the 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 major corporations were putting out mm-hmm. were kind of crappy. Yeah. Because they were trying to meet the laws and the requirements, but the technology wasn't there yet. Now we're really getting into this groove where the technology is there and they're surpassing the requirements of the law and the uh uh and the products themselves are getting really really good. And We're getting great coverage. We're getting great durability, great moisture resistance, ultraviolet resistance, Mm -hmm. everything you want, and of course, the application. uh, The application of the product is getting easier too. Sure.
1: You had a you had a very disruptive thing you had to get through, and that's the whole lead based paint thing, right? You can't. You know, we're based in Rockford, and you don't paint any houses in Rockford, correct? Or at least the older ones. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The we we my entire company is lead certification. Uh, or lead lead certified, and uh, that's quite a you know quite a little experience there. It's an eight hour course and very expensive. And uh, but in I think two thousand eleven the new lead laws came out, and the government is requiring that very specific procedures be used on any houses built before nineteen seventy eight. Mm-hmm. So that nineteen seventy eight is kind of the tail end of when they were using lead paint, and very few homes built in seventy eight had it. But they they chose that as a as a cutoff point. So if you own a home built before '78, and I could get, we could do an entire podcast on this, believe me, because it's it's crazy. But there are a ton of regulations and hoops that contractors have to jump through uh, if they're going to work in your home. Now I will say I know of very few contractors that are actually jumping through those hoops right. and doing all of that. Mm. But I've chosen not to take on, particularly exteriors. I've chosen not to take on any homes built before '78 at all. Really. And, and it's just
0: too much work. You can't do it's too much about. work.
2: And I don't want to, you know, most of the, I don't, most of the homes built before 78 in some of our parts of town are elderly folks that don't have a lot of money. Right. Folks that usually, you know, normally would have been our bread and butter. Mm-hmm. But when I tell them that it's going to cost $11,000 to paint the outside of their house instead <laughs> right. of, instead of 4,000. Right. Because now I have to do this and I have to do this, including vacuuming up the grass when we're done and, right. and I mean, all the things that go into it. I, I chose not to do that. Yeah. And we've been very, very fortunate. I've had enough business where I could pick and choose. Yeah. And I know there are a lot of guys out there doing that. I'm just kind of guessing
1: school. that's probably 30% of the market, isn't it, at least?
2: Oh, I, I have. Higher, maybe? I, I would have to say probably higher. Sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, the Rockton is almost, well, old, old school Rockton is oh, all, yeah. you know, 1800s home. Oh, yeah. And then there's whole chunks of Rockford that were built in the 40s and 50s. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah,
2: yeah. and it, we've seen uh, uh, as we've chosen to do that, we've seen some of our gravitate towards you know, more of the, the Roscoe area and the newer subdivisions out in Belvedere area, things like that. Uh, but Rockford's still our core, and uh, and we do we do a ton of work here. Yeah. And for interiors, we are doing some pre 78 homes if they're for pre- previous clients, but. That's uh, that's that's really changed. That's changed the world for us. Mm-hmm.
1: And, was that a tough decision? I mean, when he when you sat down and said, "Okay, we're, we're just gonna have to give up half the homes in this in this area," was that a tough decision?
2: It really wasn't, because those homes are usually the most work. They're the hardest ones to do. Back in the day, we called them scrapers. 'Cause you'd have two guys on that home for a week just <laughs> scraping that old stuff off. Wow. You know, so so from a logistics standpoint, it was like, you know, that's not gonna be the end of the world if we don't have to do those old beasts anymore. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so what when you uh, when you think of the future and, and what's coming next for you, what's your if, if you could tell us, what's kind of the time horizon and you're kind of in that transition planning stage. How how far in advance have you started that transition planning?
2: Uh, for myself and for the company. Yeah, I would say twelve years. Really? Okay.
0: Yeah. And you feel like that gives you enough time?
2: Oh, sure, yeah. I do. Yeah that that allows me to bring if I find someone that wants to work for me who eventually wants to buy the company. Yeah. It gives me time to bring them in. Yep. And that's you know, five years, eight years, ten years, twelve years. That's a good that's a good learning curve there.
0: I was at a meeting the other day with uh, a, a government agency. Uh, and during this meeting, they're talking about uh, doing a seminar this 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 fall, and uh, one of the bankers in the seminar planning group said that he knows of three three to four hundred businesses in the Rockford area that their transition plan is to close the doors because I mean, they just don't think that there's really anything else out there. They just never considered it, and they've not started any transition planning process, and yet it's a sort of a generational change that mm-hmm. we're coming up on, like you say, within maybe five, 10 years, mm-hmm. uh, up to maybe 15 on the outset, where businesses will be changing hands whether they want to or whether life forces them. Right. So you're you're kind of at the forefront of that curve. When you think of people in your kind of peer groups, is that a, is that a theme that people are starting to do this transition planning or is this something you're kind of uh, on the leading edge of it?
2: Well, I don't know if I'm on the leading edge of it, but I think I'm one of the rare ones. Yeah. And one of the reasons I I've thought about this a lot. Yeah. All right. And and this is how I'm kind of I'm going to kind of equate it to this. Okay. Human nature is not to plan for the end. Uh, I very few of my friends my age in my in the fifties. Yeah. Have planned their funerals. Right. Have planned their you know have their estates in order and everything. It's just oh uh, yeah I'll take care of that someday. Right. And I kind of think that wrapping up your business. It's kind of the same thing. It's like, yeah, I'm taking care of it. I'm taking care of it, but I'm not. I'm not thinking about the end. Yeah. And uh, I think it's kind of human nature. Now, I'm I'm a guy. I mean, I've my funeral's pre-planned and prepaid. I mean, I, okay. I'm done. <laughs> all right. When when I go, my wife's got like, sign a couple pieces she of paper. just shows up. Yeah, she shows up and they have a lunch and <laughs> there you go. And my kids are all set and they don't have to <laughs> spend you know days and weeks doing right. all this and everything. So that's yeah. cool. But but I'm the, I'm a planner. Yeah. And so that's what the, I'm, I'm doing that in the business also.
1: I joke with my fifteen year old that when when I die, just cremate me and bury me at shortstop at Harlem. I actually drove him out to the baseball field and pointed there. <laughs> Showed him exactly where you're gonna go. Just point, yeah. and she keeps saying, The school I'll get arrested. I'll get arrested. <laughs> Not if you do it quickly. Right, <laughs> that's, right. My, that's my point. <laughs> quickly
2: in a night we're gonna there we go.
0: <laughs> yeah, so the, that's it seems it seems like you you talk about know, you you're a planner, you've kind of got these things looking ahead. It's sort of in your nature and getting your ducks in a row in your nature. Yes. Collecting data in your nature. What do you say to people who that's not their nature?
2: I would say make it your nature. Really? Yeah. I would say if, if you have to dig deep to do that, yeah. then consider doing that. And if it's a sacrifice or difficult for you, consider biting that off and chewing that because it's really important. Or yeah. bringing,
1: maybe some, bringing somebody in who is that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Even if you don't do it yourself, mm-hmm. then surround yourself with people that can help you with that. And even if it's people that you have to write a check to, or friends that give you a a kick in the seat to do it, or something. Yeah. But just put it on paper and say, by January, you know, by January one, I'm going to do this. And that would be meet an attorney and have my will done.
0: Yeah. But what about you know if they're wrapped up in the day to the business and they can't get out and it's
2: very busy time and what about that? You got to make it. You you make you you get you got you have to make the time. Even if you take two hours next Friday afternoon. And go see an attorney you you have to make it it it, but it's all about you making it a priority yeah if it's not a if it's not a priority to you then you're going to let the i've got to do this phone call i got to type this estimate i got to meet this client i got to run this product to the job i got to do this i got you're you're going to let all that get in the way yeah so at one point you're going to have to say i'm taking two hours on an afternoon and i'm going to do this Mm -hmm. and once it's done it's done Mm -hmm. so you're going to motivate now, I'm, I'm thinking that most small business owners do have a little bit of self-discipline. I, I'm hoping, you know, a little bit of discipline and, and self-control and, and can say, by golly, I've got to do this. So, <laughs> I don't know. You know a lot of them. I know a lot of them. So <laughs> You're probably among the top uh, in the <laughs> discipline department.
1: Sam, <laughs> I'm just curious when you talked about what the bankers saying that like three or 400 are just going to close. Mm-hmm. I, I have seen some statistics uh, that the number of businesses for sale is at an all-time high. Yeah. And part of that was because a lot of people got hit really hard in that recession, oh, yeah, yeah. and it's taken them five to seven years to build the business back up to where they can sell it. They maybe yeah. they wanted to get out five years ago, but now the, now they can. Mm-hmm. And maybe they're tired yeah.
2: now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a long climb out of that hole. Yeah, it really sure was. It took it took, a, it took a, a toll on a lot of people.
1: Yeah.
2: What did you do? How did you how did you survive it? Oh, it was ugly. It was ugly. Um, uh, we we got tight. And I I. I I sat the whole company down and said, uh, you know, here we go. Things are going to get tight. I froze pay for two years. Uh, We consolidated. We didn't spend one penny on anything. We didn't have to spend a penny on. I negotiated with vendors. And then there was one point where I took a second mortgage out on the house. Wow. And I used it to fund the company for two years. Are you happy you did all that? Oh, I wouldn't change it. But I'll tell you what bring that up and not bragging or anything. Okay. Yeah. But uh-huh. bring that up. If some, if a young person were to ask me, you know, what does it take to be yeah. a small business owner? I would say, first, how bad do you want it? What are you willing to sacrifice? And, and then I'll look at him. I'll say like, all right, so you want to own your small business, your own business, sit down with your wife one night and say, what happens if we need to take a second mortgage on the house? And we need to use that to make payroll for a few months or to pay our bills to get the company through till, till we can, the season changes or this contract comes in or something, you know, is your wife going to be on board with that? Are you willing to make that sacrifice? Because that's really what it takes to run a small business. I'm not saying you're going to do it, Mm -hmm. but you have to be willing and ready to make that sacrifice. And what if they aren't? Then I'd say, find a job, keep working for someone. If you want to put around nights and weekends on a part-time call it a hobby, but it's not going to be a career. Wow. That seems harsh yeah, but I think it's, I think it's real. I mean, I I don't want someone to, co- to quit a job they've been doing for 10 years and put their life savings into this and have them fail. Yeah. I don't want that to happen to anyone. So I'm saying do your homework and know what you're getting into, know the risks, know the sacrifices and be willing to do it. So.
0: Wow. I think that brings us to a really good end. I think so. All what right. it takes to be a small business owner. Yeah. I love it. I I've again, we've been, we've known each other for a number of years. And, and it turned out after we started doing business together, we, we, we knew each other personally, <laughs> right, yeah. you know, uh, through other places too, which is fascinating to me. And I have always been impressed by, uh, you know, kind of the, the humble painter, you know, from Rockford has so much information ducks in a row, so courageous, making decisions that other people just can't make. And then to, you know, to wrap up this whole podcast with Hey, this is, this is, these are the facts, you know, know, know what you're getting into and make sure your family's on board. And if they aren't go get a job, I, I, I think it's wise advice. Uh, certainly you've lived it. You know, it's wise advice. Yes. Uh, and, and I think that maybe that's your encouragement to, to our listeners. If they're thinking of starting a business, know what it takes.
2: Yeah, I, I would definitely recommend that.
0: Awesome. Well, Paul, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Uh, pleasure to know you personally and pleasure to know you, pleasure to work with you and to help you out Uh, Thanks for being with us today.
2: Thanks, guys. I appreciate the opportunity to do this.